Welcome to Flip the Library, Gwinnett County Public Library podcast. And I'm Melissa Gramont, manager of the Snellville branch. And I'm Steve Thomas, manager at Collins Hill. Libraries are constantly changing the resources that we offer to our community, and the 21st Century Library now houses makerspaces, hack labs, and at GCPL, we call that a learning lab. But no matter what the name, we offer library customers an opportunity to create intellectual and physical materials using resources such as computers, 3D printers, audio and video capture and editing tools, arts and crafts, and more. GCPL currently has four learning labs located at Centerville, Five Forks, Hamilton Mill, and Lilburn branches, and they're spaces where you can create, collaborate, and share digital content. Coming in the future, we have lots of other labs. Every new building will have it, and Peachtree Corners and Sewanee will also be converted, and I think every branch will eventually be converted, knock on wood. So today we're going to talk to some staff from the learning labs. Hi, everybody. My name is Kate Delaney. I am a Learning Lab Specialist, and I am currently at the Centerville branch. And I'm Fernando Aragon, and I'm currently at the Five Forks branch. Um, I'm Shandy Fry, and I'm currently the Learning Lab Specialist at the Hamilton Mill branch. Thank you guys for introducing yourselves. Um, Can you tell us how long you've worked at GCPL and what's your background? So I worked for GCPL since April of 2017. My background before I came to work at the library was always in nonprofits, arts institutions. So like community arts centers, art museums, stuff like that. So I did a lot of programming that was arts-based and community-based. So that was what led me to this position here. Um, So I've been at GCPL overall for three years. Actually, I just celebrated my three-year anniversary. Yay. Um, And my background, um, so my undergraduate degree is in fashion marketing and management. um, And I went to SCAD. So I have a lot of experience with sewing and fashion and that sort of thing. But then also the biggest focus for my degree was graphic design and marketing. So um, kind of combining both graphic arts and textile arts is what I did for my undergrad. Um, And I'm also like maybe a couple of months away from finishing my master's in library science. So that's super exciting too. Um, But yeah, that's basically, um, you know, just being super creative and stuff like that is how I ended up being here, I guess. And were you, uh, were you a learning lab specialist from the beginning or did you start as an associate or anything like that? I started as a library associate. So I started um, uh, in August, like I said, about three years ago, just as a regular library associate. And then after about six months, I ended up getting um, into the library or into the learning lab specialist uh, position, which was super exciting. We didn't have one at Hamilton Mill. So um, I tried to fill a place um, because I got in here and I was like, oh, wait, this is all stuff that I know about. Um, when I saw all the equipment that we had in the learning lab. So um, that's how I ended up just kind of working into it and then getting promoted to it. And for me, I see I started in March 2018 as a library associate. And then a year later uh, applied for the learning lab position where I am now. So prior to the learning lab, (laughs) uh, I joke around with people all the time. It's like, I've done every job out there. (laughs) I'm all over the place. I I could start off with uh, high school working on a pirate ship, you know, (laughs) it's a putt-putt golf course. Um, 
but no, I've worked a, a lot of places, but um, uh, prior to working at the library um, for about four years, I was a process improvement consultant at a, at a bank. And then I got into uh, teaching and higher education. And then once I got a tour of the learning lab and saw what the library was all about, I was like, I want to work in the library. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, uh, I'm just all over the place, I guess you'd say. But um, teaching and then, yeah, like process improvement. Well, can you t- tell us anything about um, the learning lab at your location, like uh, when it was opened and what kind of stuff is is going on at, the, at your specific location? So the Centerville lab is the most recent one to have opened. Don't quote me on the exact date, though. Um, I came here... January of last year. So I've been here about a year and a half now. Um, It was open before we had a learning lab staff member here for a little while. So, you know, the branch staff was doing their best to do book librarians and help people access the equipment. Um, But I officially started here as a learning lab staff member solely for this location um, in January of 2019. And Centerville, the kind of stuff we have to offer is very similar to Hamilton Mill. So I like to think about the labs as like two and two. So Hamilton Mill and Centerville are very similar and Five Forks and Lilburn are very similar. Okay, so at Hamilton Mill and Centerville, we have a lot of hands-on making type of equipment. So I'm talking about the sewing machines, the sergers, the dress forms. Um, These are the two branches where we offer this type of equipment and it is very popular with our customers. Um, So we're really proud and happy to be able to offer that to people. Um, But of course we also have, you know, the video cameras, the audio recording equipment, 3D printers, you know, the computer workstations that have all of the Adobe suite and the other softwares that we offer. We've got that as well. Um, And I would say here at Centerville, um, probably the two most popular things that we offer are the sewing and then our audio recording equipment, because we have typically a lot of teens in the building. You know, times are strange right now, but on normal circumstances, lots of teens and they really like to come in here and play around with the audio equipment and record music and stuff like that. So it's very popular with them. Um, but I've been at all four of the learning lab locations and they're all totally different with what the customers at that particular location tend to gravitate towards. Um, I was at Hamilton mill before I came here and they, it's similar in that the Hamilton mill customers really like those hands-on, um, creative making activities. Um, so, so yeah, that's. And that's cool. where we're at. And then uh, with Five Forks, um, that that was the first learning lab, and that's way before I joined. But uh, it opened in 2012 as the tech studio was the first one, and it was a renovation project. Whenever there was a renovation at, uh, at Five Forks, that's when they made it happen. And um, Tanya and Patrick, they were the first two uh, leading the way. I always joke around with with Patrick calling the godfather of the learning labs, you know, <laughs> since he's been here since the beginning. But uh, so at Five Forks, uh, we have 
a very cool piece of technology called the Glowforge. It's a, um, it's like a laser cutter. You can like, you know, cut and engrave, you know, wood, acrylic, um, different type of metals. Got to be careful with what you're cutting and, and engraving because of fumes, things like that. But of course we've been trained on that. Uh, prior to, um, March, we were actually getting a lot of people coming in, uh, doing book of librarians for the Glowforge for projects and making all sorts of cool things from, you know, Christmas gifts to prototypes for things, um, you know, like board games, things like that. We also have, in addition to the 3D printers that the other labs have, we have a, um, a form printer. It's an SLA printer. It's resin based. It just, it, it prints 3D objects too. It's just different in the way it does it. Um, they look nicer. And as far as like our typical customer at Five Forks, we, we would get a lot of people recording video in there and audio, but I would say we were the busiest when it came to um, coding. I was doing a lot of uh, Python book of librarians prior to March, and um, so we would see a lot of people come in for that at Five Forks. Hamilton Mill is still relatively new, um, so I'm just a couple of years old. It's one of the more interesting spaces, or not like more interesting, but you know, we have a lot of weird equipment that aren't necessarily found at the other labs. So one of the things that we have right now is the um, X-Carve, which is a CNC machine, um, but it's pretty large. So um, the Carvey is kind of a small scale version of it. The X-Carve ends up being about a thousand by a thousand millimeters. Um, so it's pretty large in terms of what you can actually work with and um, with space wise. Um, but we have a lot of, it's really a hands-on maker type of lab at Hamilton Mill. So it's really designed for people who are doing those creative technology type of pursuits. Um, and there's just tons of equipment for like, you know, carving and woodworking and 3D printing and everything like that. Um, and it's really fun to see the diversity of people who come in with different like creative ideas that they really want to carry out and what they can do with it. Can you guys tell us what is a typical day like at the learning lab? Or if there, if no day is typical, can you describe what you do on a regular basis so in non-COVID times? Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> right now nothing is typical. Uh, Pre- pre-March. <laughs> Pre-March. Gosh, it feels like a totally different era, doesn't it? Seven years ago before March. <laughs> So busy, so, so busy with so many book of librarians, just constant, you know, at least eight or 10 a week for each one of us, usually multiple per day, multiple hour sessions on top of, you know, our programming and all of that. So for me, a typical day would look like, you know, I get here in the morning, I sit down, go through my email and my calendar real quick, and then basically don't get a chance to look at it for the rest of the day because I'm in the lab helping customers do whatever it is they need to do or uh, managing programs, doing program planning, stuff like that. And one of the unique things about programming for the learning lab um, that a lot of people might not realize is it takes a lot of preparation. You know, we're constantly getting new equipment, really cool technology, But, you know, if you're going to be doing a public program on your new 3D scanner, 
you better know how to use it. So it's a lot of prep work in figuring out all of this cool new tech as we get it, staying on top of everything, you know, keeping the older stuff updated. That can be a big issue with the 3D printers, especially, and the software that they run off of, keeping it updated on all the computers. Um, it's so much fun. I love working in the learning labs because it's it's pretty self-directed. You know, Tanya is in charge of us and she gives us our goals, but she is uh, she really lets us do uh, things that we're interested in. And that really has helped me thrive in the learning labs because I have so much freedom to do programs that I'm really interested in and to specialize in the skills that are really meaningful to me. Um, so a, a lot of time is put into skill development, maintaining technology on top of all of the customer relationships. Five Forks and Lumberton are definitely more like digital arts, um, you know, geared towards that type of thing. And then I feel like uh, Hamilton Mill and Centerville are definitely more of the hands-on true maker space type of areas. Um, not to say that Five Forks and Lumberton don't have, you know, some maker things because we all have 3D printers and we all have the capability of doing most of this stuff. Um, but the spaces at Hamilton Mill and Centerville really lend themselves for people who are coming in um, doing sewing. So we do have the sewing machines. We do have a couple of different um, types of sewing machines as well. So we do have the regular sewing machines, sergers, and a cover stitch machine as well. Um, so there's just different types of technologies and creative things that we have for people to come experiment with and see if it's something that they really love and want to turn into something. I don't know if there is a typical day in the life of a learning lab specialist, just because everything that we do ends up being so, um, different, but for me, a lot of what I ended up doing, of course, pre-COVID, um, there was a lot of book librarians, so a lot of one-on-one -on -one sessions with people where I can just sit down, figure out what it is that they're working with, and try and help them basically achieve their creative pursuit. Um, and, and it's been really fun, too, because there's so many different people. We end up having a lot of regular customers who come in and, you know, want to come in every week and work on something. I had a woman who had been coming in basically every week before um, we shut down for COVID um, who was working on a cookbook, and we were working on laying it out so that she could send it to a publisher and, you know, showing her how to use InDesign and um, really working on her brand. So that was really fun to see. Um, in addition to that, there was a lot of, I do a lot of outreach too. So I like going places and getting out of the library and going out into the community, um, and seeing how we can take the technology that we have out to people in different areas. So I, I like doing a lot of outreach events at schools, um, or literally anywhere. It's one of my favorite things. Um, so definitely a lot of outreach, definitely a lot of book librarians, and then a lot, a lot of programming. So I was um, probably doing, I don't know, anywhere between eight and 10 programs a, a month. Um, so probably close to about two a week at the very least. Um, and just finding ways to, you know, offer services to people that they might not have known that the library has and, and that kind of stuff. So that was the bulk of my pre-COVID life. And I've been trying to find ways to incorporate those into a digital atmosphere. Um, and of course, it's a little bit difficult and it's a little bit slower going than what I was the pace that I was used to before. Um, but you know, it's still been it's a learning experience, but it's still good. So it's been fun. 
prior to prior to uh, you know COVID, a uh, typical day for me was I would um, I would get in and I would you know catch up on email, but then I was prepping for you know three to four book librarians a day. That's that's the way it was in January and February. Yeah. Um, I I was looking for the numbers. Um, I can't find the exact numbers. Uh, my laptop's a mess right now, but I know we had over, I think, 130 book librarians in February. Wow. Um, I know Kate was slammed with sewing uh, book librarians and um, over at Centerville and then with uh, with Python. I was kept pretty busy at Five Forks. But um, but yeah, so the, the typical day, in addition to, you know, the book librarians um, in this role, like uh, Kate was saying, they're we're constantly getting new equipment. So we're teaching ourselves how to use the equipment and then how um, that equipment can be used, um, find out different ways that um, we can, uh, you know, pitch it to the patrons of how they can use it to, uh, you know, for whatever they want to use. Right. Um, I know one of the things that I was looking at in uh, February, we got these portable 3d scanners and, um, so I always look around. I get to play with toys at work, and that's not really uh, far from the truth, right? We get we get cool technology, and then we play around with it. But you know, get a three D scanner, portable three D scanner, and then you know you learn how to use it. You practice, so then you can show people how to use it and show them how you know how it can benefit them. So, um, and then as far as programming goes, um, there is a lot of prep that goes into the the programs and. Um, great thing about our supervisor Tanya is that she really lets us you know branch out into our areas of interest like hey you know I've you know taken a liking to XYZ you know you think I can do a program on this and she's like yeah go for it and then um, and then we have the time to prepare for it so Um, I went back and was looking through my email while you were talking and found the stats from Tanya from the middle of February you guys had already had 77 book of library and appointments um, through yeah. February and then you had another 19 scheduled <laughs> going forward and poor Fernando had 34 just himself. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was, that was the middle of February. Yeah. yeah, middle of February. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, uh, my personally, my, my favorite part of the job has been uh, book of librarians. Um, you know, the one-on-one interacting, getting to know the customers, helping them, uh, accomplish their goals and and then the workshops you know the programs as well i love the one-on-one interaction that i have with the community so uh it's it's been a little tough you know not having book of librarians as much i i do a couple virtually now um but you know that's definitely something i enjoy from the position book of librarians at first uh so i guess um when the library closed down march and i guess it was Two weeks after I got a message on LinkedIn from one of the people I was meeting with regularly uh, with Python, and they were just like, hey, is it still possible for us to, like, you know, do, like, a book of librarian? And I was just like, yeah, we can do that. So just set up a a Google Hangout. So I did a few Google Hangouts, um, and that worked really well, um, just, you know, one-on-one. And they were all coding-related. So it was really easy because it's just, you know, one-on-one and then let me share my screen and show you and then you share your screen. And uh, and that worked really well. 
And then since we've been back in the branch, that's what I've continued to use is just Google Hangout. And But the only virtual book librarians that I've had have been either um, coding or job interview prep. And so both of those have worked well with the Google Hangout setting. Um, I know... I, I'm curious to hear, like with sewing, if if Kate has had any sewing, uh, you know, book a library, like things like more hands-on, how, you know, how that would go, right? It's been easy for me, but some of the things would be tough. So, I don't know. Yeah, I have had some sewing book librarians. Um, we have a Girl Scout group that um, has been coming to see us in person, both me and Shandy, for a long time. Um, and they didn't want to, you know, lose any of their skills over the summer. So we have been doing virtual book librarians, same kind of setup, uh, with Google Hangouts and, um, it has worked great. And I, I think a lot of the reason it's worked great is that we had that pre-existing relationship with this group of customers and they kind of understand, um, how it works. So they're not coming at their sewing project with absolutely no knowledge of what's happening at all. They already, you know, they have sewing machines, they have the equipment, they know how to operate it. Probably if you were trying to teach someone how to use a sewing machine for the first time via Google Hangouts, that might be a little bit difficult. But I mean, I'm sure you could do it if you needed to. Um, But fortunately, these people all really know what they're doing. So it's really just, you know, a fun time to spend socializing and making cool stuff. So um, we've made skirts. uh, We've made zipper pouches. I just filmed a new tutorial on making a t-shirt. So that should be coming up pretty soon. Um, But it's been working really good so far. And, you know, people have been really understanding of the challenges, you know, like if your Google Hangout link work or whatever, everybody gets that this is, you know, kind of a weird time and we're all just figuring it out as we go along. So our customers have been wonderful and understanding and a lot of fun to hang out with and to spend time with. So I haven't personally done any virtual book librarians, but I've done virtual outreach. Um, So there's one of the schools that I work with pretty closely in the county uh, Cruz Middle School, and one of the teachers contacted me while we were actually shut down and was talking about some one of the programs that he does pretty regularly, which is like Shark Tank for his entrepreneurship class, um, which is super cute and it's fun, and the kids are always really excited about it. So I was able to help him virtually through you know calls, um, like Zoom meetings and stuff like that, where I could actually. Um, talk with the kids and do their Shark Tank like I would have done in person, but just do it on a a digital level. So it was a little bit different, um, but really not that bad because we still got to make that connection with the kids. Um, So I did a lot of that um, as opposed to the virtual book librarians, because as I've been telling most people, um, what most of the customers here at Hamilton Mill want are the hands-on experience and the maker equipment. And it's really difficult. I mean, it's impossible to do that over a a video because they can't actually even get into the lab right now. Um, So that's been a little bit different in terms of book librarians. But for outreach, I've been able to still do a little bit of that and still help out in those ways. So it's been different, but it's been good. It's still, you know, we're still finding ways to do what we did before. Can you guys talk about some of the virtual programs you've been offering, the like pre-recorded programs? Yeah. So for me, I've been doing um, 
some Tinkercad. I've done a couple on Easel, which is the browser-based software that we run our CNC machines off of, which I didn't really mention the CNC machines when we were talking about the equipment in the labs. But that's another thing that Centerville and Hamilton Mill have in common. We are the two locations that have CNC machines. And what that is, is a fancy computerized router, basically. It's got a drill bit and you load a design file into it from a computer and it drills out the image of your file. And Easel is the software that you use to create those designs. So I have a couple of videos up on YouTube about getting started with Easel and also making a custom puzzle is the other one. So I've done that. I've done a couple of Tinkercad. Um, and I have recently started branching into the pre-recorded sewing tutorials. Um, so those end up being a little bit of a longer video. We'll see how it goes with people and if they're willing to sit for 30 or 40 minutes, you know, to watch a lengthy tutorial on something like that. But so far, it's been going really well. Well, I think, yeah. I think that one is a really good one because that's what a lot of people have been doing in, <laughs> in right. their self-isolation. So. Yeah, well, and Catherine Russell has been doing a lot of um, sewing tutorials with her virtual sewing club that she's been doing. Um, so I know she's been getting a lot of really good numbers from that. Yeah, and um, my virtual programs, they've all been uh, pre-recorded and um, it's been five different uh, Python virtual programs. Uh, what I did was take the intro to Python workshop and then just expand on it. So right now there's uh, five episodes on GCPL's YouTube. The first four get into the basics and then the fifth one is a fun little activity of how to program a magic eight ball, you know, so you can ask a question and get a random answer like not today or outlook, not so good or whatever. Um, and uh, those seem to be doing pretty well. There's, interest there um it was a little bit of a challenge because uh you know with with doing a program live and you know in person you're able to see our our kids coming in or these adults like if there's kids coming in middle school uh then you know okay this is this is the approach i'm going to you know use to teach python um if it's adults then you can you know uh you know get into it a different way how it how they could use it, right? Kids, you can make cool games. Adults, hey, this is how you can simplify, do some data analysis with Python. Um, but the challenge with virtual programming is you don't know who's watching it. So you just have to assume, okay, everybody's probably going to watch it. So what's the balance there? Like, you know, uh, what level? So I've, I've tried to keep it very uh, beginner friendly. And um, so really I'm targeting it for if, you know, uh, you know, a kid, you know, fourth, fifth grade uh, is interested in coding and stumbles across the video, um, they don't get intimidated by it, you know, and if, and then, but I do plan on doing some videos where it's task-based and maybe some more automation, what you can do with, uh, um, you know, how you can use Python with automation, which may uh, then be more geared toward uh, adult patrons, but uh, yeah. So the virtual programs have been super fun and it's been an avenue that I don't think that I would have explored if it hadn't been for this pandemic, which is actually a nice little silver lining because it's like, 
you know, once we get back into normal programming, I might still want to continue to do some virtual things like this because it's still kind of fun. One of the things that I struggle with is I do like doing a lot of graphic design and illustrative software based things, um, which is really difficult to do in a program um, because people want to. Um, it's hard to follow along like that in real time. And like, it's only an hour long or something like that. It gets a little confusing, especially if you have multiple people in the room. So being able to do graphic design programs, anything with like Photoshop, anything with an illustrative software and as a video tutorial has been really great because it's one of those things that like you can follow along. And this is something that I do too, when I'm trying to learn a new skill, like I'll look up a tutorial, I'll follow along, I'll pause it if I need to, or go back if I need to, if something is confusing. And it's a format that's a lot better for illustrative stuff than just doing a live program where people follow along. Um, So I've kind of liked that. And then I also have uh, coming up this fall, um, we usually do a Young Makers program and I'm going to be doing Young Makers Home Edition. Um, which is kind of fun. It's definitely, it's a STEM or STEAM based um, project that we do. And I usually do it with children, you know, ages five to 10 once a month. Um, But with the home edition thing, what I wanted to do was really incorporate things that are easily found around the house or supplies that are really easy to come by. Um, So, you know, if you do have to buy supplies, it's only, it's like at the dollar store, I think, or something like that. I tried to make sure that it was super accessible. Um, And then also another thing that I really wanted to incorporate was um, some sort of nonfiction storybook. So for our first Young Makers Home Edition, we're going to be focusing on like marine biology. We're going to read a cool book about, you know, saving coral reefs. And then we're going to be making some sort of craft that kind of goes along with it. So incorporating that literary aspect of it and then also doing the steam thing and having the whole thing live. Um, to be interactive so that we can actually talk about it. I'm, I'm excited about that. That's just one of the programs that I'm super excited about right now. So some of you touched or upon this, but um, can you tell us what's your favorite feature or tech toy in your lab? That's a tough question. I like them all. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love all of your children. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, I would have- you love the most. <laughs> I would have to say the sewing machines um, because that's my personal hobby or one of them as well. So that's the one that I can really dive into and spend hours and hours and hours um, without even realizing it. I have to say the Glowforge at uh, Five Forks just because there's so much to experiment with it. Like a fun little thing that I made was, you know, those copy paper boxes that you know, they, they have like three reams of paper, but it's just, you know, uh, cardboard. I uh, I, I found the layout of, um, you know, arcade joystick online and then, um, you know, put that into Illustrator and then put it into the Glowforge um, software. And then I made a joystick out of that box. You know, I cut all the holes on the top of the copy paper box and then bought some uh, uh, bought some arcade buttons and a joystick and then soldered it together. And now my nephew has a working joystick that is a, uh, copy paper box so he can beat it up and because he likes to just go ah, dun, 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 dun. so uh so that's cool so i was able to make him a, a copy paper box joystick that he can actually use on his playstation and computer so but yeah like things with glowforge it's just cool you know yeah you guys are spoiled with the glowforge i'm a yeah. little 
<laughs> yeah, that's cool. My my son treats his remotes the same way, except his like costs seventy dollars. <laughs> copy paper box. <laughs> yeah, well, we can make him a copy paper box joystick. You know. <laughs> when, we, when we reopen, I might bring him by the learning labs. <laughs> yeah. The X Carve is my baby. Um, <laughs> ever since we got it in, and it's definitely it's definitely a difficult child for me and it's been a whole learning experience we got it in and i think i mentioned this earlier it's a thousand by a thousand millimeters for the um you know the the board itself you know the workspace um we didn't have a table big enough for it to fit on so i had to i couldn't even put it together when we first got it i had to order we had to order a table that we could actually put into the lab i had to clear space out of the lab to wait forever for this table when it finally came in i started the super fun process of putting the entire machine together, um, which it came in no way put together. The controller wasn't together. The workspace wasn't together. It took me like an entire week to actually get this thing together. And then, it, of course, it's together and it doesn't work. So I was troubleshooting. The people at Inventables are amazing. I would call them up and I'd be like, I have an X-Carve. I'm a librarian. I don't necessarily know what I'm doing. And say I need help with all this stuff. And they'd give me these like super easy fixes that I'm like, oh, of course, it's just, you know, my wires are not connected or something super simple like that. And I'd be so frustrated. But finally getting it to work to where it'll actually carve materials and learning, you know, everything about that has been so much fun. And, you know, it's like, you know, watching a child ride, a, you know, a bike for the first time or learn how to walk because I'm like, yes, it's finally working. Um, definitely a super long process to get it to work and, and you know, showing people how to use it is super fun um, and seeing what people can come up with um, is fantastic. So that's my favorite little piece of machinery that we have for sure. <laughs> um, so to wrap up, um how would you how do, how do you sell the learning lab to like the public what's your pitch and what's like the most important things you like to feature when you're telling people about the labs so my go to always is the uh the so first of all the software uh that uh patrons have access to in the learning lab i mean these imacs are equipped with everything that someone with creative aspirations would would want um, what was a selling point for me when I found out about the learning labs? Uh, cause prior to working at the library, I was volunteering. Kate, I had actually worked with Kate a good bit cause she was at Lilburn and I was volunteering at Lilburn. Um, but when I was introduced to the learning labs, um, and I was shown that, Hey, the whole Adobe creative suite is on the iMac and you can use it for free with a library card. I was like, what? Cause I had just spent, uh, like a year and a half of Adobe, you know, and I live, a mile away from the Lilburn branch and I spent who knows how much money. Well, I guess my bank knows how much money I spent on Adobe, but it's, <laughs> but I didn't have to do that. Right. Um, so my big selling point is like, you know, you have access to the software, you have access to final cut pro, you have access to cameras, microphones. If you want to record a podcast, you can do it in the lab. Um, you know, uh, you want to record a video, you can do it in the lab, green screen, software, Everything you could possibly imagine is there and you can reserve the room, uh, you know, for up to two hours. And then if nobody else is, is booking it, uh, if it's still available, they can, you know, book an additional hour every time. Um, 
but yeah, my go-to has always just been the the equipment the software. And uh, now that I work for the learning labs, I would say uh, the people too, you know, <laughs> I was like, come to the learning labs because all of the learning lab specialists are amazing. And, <laughs> no. um, but it's the toys, you know, the equipment. Um, it's just, it's just amazing. I, 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 ran, I ramble all the time about this just because I think it's so great that, you know, not, there's so many people who have like creative aspirations. They want to create something. They want to put something out in the world, but they don't have, um, you know, the financial resources or just the tools to do it. And with being able to go to the library and, and having access to that really just makes the world a better place because they get to make things that make the world a better place. Uh, so anyways, but I'll stop there. I could go on and on and on. Around. <laughs> Thank you. And I appreciate you talking about the creative aspect. A lot of people, I think, only think of technology when they think of the learning labs. And so if you are more um, artistically inclined or you um, ha- want to pursue create creative interests, the learning labs are still a great place for you to um, find your your little space. Yeah, absolutely. Every single customer we have is doing something creative using the equipment in here. That's one of the coolest things about working in the learning labs is seeing all the projects that people in our community have been working on. It's definitely a place where if you have an idea, we can help you figure out how to make that idea real or a reality. Um, Because it's not necessarily just that we have the equipment, we have the resources and we have all the fun, you know, gadgets and toys and stuff like that. We also have people here, you know, who know how to use this and this is our whole job. So as a specialist, this is what we do is we help you figure out how you can realize what you want to do in terms of creative pursuits or, or anything. So, um, you know, of course, our big talking points are, you know, 3D printers and we have video and audio equipment and we do have sewing machines, but it goes beyond just that, you know, actual piece of equipment. And it's more than that. It's more like, a, you know, a service that we can help you figure out how to use these things and, you know, do some really amazing things especially now during COVID, but anytime, um, how, how do you guys make your services available to staff? So anybody on staff can reach out to us either individually or by sending an email to our whole department at learninglabs at gwinnettpl.org and just let us know um, when you want to come in and what equipment you're hoping to use. Or if you don't know what equipment, tell us, well, I'm going to be filming a tutorial or doing a voiceover or whatever it is. Um, And we will have everything set up and ready to go and completely cleaned and disinfected for you. Um, And we're here to help as well with the technical aspect of video editing, audio editing, getting all of those digital programs the best that they can possibly be. Um, We are really fortunate in that we have some great audio equipment, really wonderful cameras, Um, so anybody who needs to film or record can totally still do that in the learning labs. Just let us know when you want to come by and we'll add you to the calendar. Yeah, I actually have people in the lab right now, which is why I'm not currently in there. Um, (laughs) but I have people like basically this whole week is booked by staff members while I'm here. And, um, I've also had some staff members, 
um, that have been here who have been interested in learning about different like software and stuff like that, like to work from home. So I'm like, oh yeah, just take this with you so that you can work on it and figure out how to use it at home and your work from home time. Um, and then that gives them something else to do to learn how to figure stuff out. Cause I'm like, you know, I don't have customers coming in who might need it right now. So just go ahead and work with it. Um, so if there's anything like that, that anybody's interested in, um, or of course, video and audio stuff, you know, we're here for it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So if someone were interested in becoming a learning lab specialist, what kind of skill set should they be working on? I would say first and foremost, they should talk to us um, because everybody's skill set is different, right? Um, if you want to come and work for the learning labs, you don't necessarily have to come in knowing every single thing about every single piece of equipment that we have. I mean, we don't even do that. That's why we have people with different specialties throughout the department. Nobody knows as much about audio as Billy, for example. So, you know, it's really all about communicating, hey, this is a goal that I have, getting on the radar of Tanya and, you know, Michael Casey and Margaret Penn as well, letting us know. And we have so many volunteer opportunities, usually. <laughs> um, so another thing would be just come by, reserve the lab, use this stuff for your own personal projects and develop your skills. Uh, being a self-directed learner is more important than any technical skill you could possess, in my opinion. I, I second that. Um, you, you have to be very into uh, continuing your educational journey with this, with the creative software. I, you have to um, be curious. I would say a good skill to have is be curious and want to learn more and more. Uh, you know, being someone who came from uh, being a learning lab, uh, or not learning lab, uh, a uh, library associate to a learning lab, uh, specialist. Um, from day one, you know, Tanya knew I had an interest in getting to the learning labs. I think it's a very, like what Kate said, I think it's very important that you make it known that that is what you're interested in. Um, my manager, uh, Nessa at uh, Buford, um, you know, I told her as well, and she was very supportive. And she was even like, all right, well, we're going to work on your skills to help get you there. So the, the programs that I did in Buford uh, revolved around um, uh, learning lab stuff also, right? Um, like I did do things like math club, but then Nessa also uh, let me go um, to Patrick's Arduino uh, programs and participate in those and then take those programs, modify them, and have them at Buford. So, um, you know, I was... Uh, you know, constantly just preparing myself, building up the skills, working on audio, working on video, so that if an opportunity uh, came up, that um, I would be positioned well to, to go for it. So um, no, it's kind of a long winded answer. Uh, but uh, two big things. Yeah, just um, having that personality of just wanting to learn more and more and more and making it known that the learning lab is where you want to be. I can also probably add a little bit. Um, uh, some One of the things that I think people say to me the most is that they're uh, afraid to do things. Like if they don't know how to use something, they're like, oh, I don't want to try and fix that because I, I think it might be broken or I might break it. 
Um, so not having that, like, not being like timid or anything like that, but just being re- like willing to really just like dive head into it um, and then write and figure it out and go from there. Um, my kind of, whenever I'm like a 3D printer is broken or something like that, if I'm fixing it, people are like, what if you break it? I'm like, but it's already broken. <laughs> <laughs> so if, it, if I break it some more, then we're still in the same spot and we have to get it fixed eventually and someone else will have to fix it. But I can at least try fixing it while I'm, potentially breaking it more. Um, so <laughs> um, I feel like a lot of people um, are, are, you know, struggle with that, but knowing that, you know, it'll get fixed and things are fine and, and you can, it's a learning process too, for sure. Just like going through it, figuring stuff out. And then like you guys have said, um, being willing to just learn and, and being very self-driven. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show today.